Millions of people listen to his voice every week. But what does he actually preach? And is it true that he can make diseases disappear? Well, listen to the doctor yourself and make your own opinion. This is Brain Food with Lydia. Good morning, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. How are you? I'm <laughs> fine. Um, it's nice to actually be talking on my podcast with a, a podcast star. I mean, come on, we know that there are millions listening to your podcast. Why do we have so many listeners? Do you think? I think podcasting is doing something very interesting, and I think people are getting from podcasting what they're not getting from mainstream media which typically has been uh, scripted content, edited content that then people consume. And I feel the reason why podcasts like mine, which are pretty long, what underpins the conversations I have is authenticity, right? They're nuanced, there's context there. And I think podcasts are the modern day campfire. Mm. So I think many people are feeling lonely and isolated and they go for walks and in their ears, they they hear conversations. So I don't know why mine has proven to be so popular around the world. Um, ultimately, all I try and do is connect with my guests. I say I say to people, my podcast, although it's a health and well being podcast, it's actually much more than that. It's how to live a more contented life podcast, and it's not an information delivery system. It's about connection. I want to connect with my guests. And if I can connect with my guests, any information comes to the listener as a side effect. So mm. I, I got to say, I know my audience love it, but I love it. Podcasting has changed my own life, I must say. Mm. Good to hear. So we, we feel nice in the surroundings. Oh, we do. I, I love this format. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, when people talk about you, they say you talk about things that you don't learn in medical school. Mm. So... Um, uh, that sounds a little bit worrying because what do you learn at medical school if you don't learn these essential things? Yeah. What we have to understand is that the way medicine is taught and has been taught for many years is really about disease management, not the creation of health. And they're two very different things. And I think there were good intentions there. So I think maybe 50, 60 years ago, what were we seeing as doctors? We were seeing what we call acute illness that responds very well to modern medical intervention. So, you know, 40, 50 years ago, you come in with, I don't know, a severe chest infection. Your doctor identifies what it is, gives you a pill, kills the infection, one week later, you're better. Okay, that works really well. The problem today, both in Sweden and in the UK and in many countries around the world, is that the majority of what we see as doctors is now related to the way we are living, our collective modern lifestyles. So about 80 to 90% of what we see as doctors is related to the way we're living. Not just putting on too much weight or type 2 diabetes, even things like anxiety, depression, gut problems, hormonal problems, sleep issues, uh, fatigue. These are all these all have their roots in the way we live our lives. Therefore, that approach that we get taught at medical school, what's the diagnosis, what's the pill to fix it, 
it just doesn't work so well. And look, I've been a doctor now for nearly 21 years. Right? I've seen tens of thousands of patients. And the majority of what I do with my patients, the majority of what I talk about in my books and my podcast, the truth is I had to learn this myself. I had to study this myself because I was frustrated that so many of my patients I wasn't really helping. So uh, are you talking about prevention? Not just prevention, right? It's a, it's a really good question. A lot of the time we say, yeah, it's about prevention. Sure, I'm all for prevention. I want to help inspire people to make small changes to some key areas of their lifestyle that will have a big impact on how they feel today, but also will have a big impact on their risk of getting sick in the future. That's prevention, sure. But I want to take it one stage further. Lifestyle change is not just about prevention. Even if you've already become sick and you've got symptoms, sometimes lifestyle change can reverse things. And usually it can certainly make things better. So I, I want to move beyond this idea that lifestyle is just prevention. It can also be part of the treatments. And I've shown this. Right? I, in 2015 and 2017, I had a, um, a show on BBC One, the main channel in the UK, um, primetime show called Doctor in the House. I lived alongside families who were sick. They had all kinds of problems. They were already under doctors, GPs and specialists. Most of them were already taking medication. And in just six weeks with every single family, I either helped them fully get rid of their symptoms or significantly improve them. And it was all done with small lifestyle changes. That's now been shown to millions of people in 70 countries around the world. And so, yes, prevention is important, definitely. But let's not forget that we can also use lifestyle changes as part of our treatments. Mm. But then you're talking about self-help with guidance? Yeah, to a certain degree. Mm. I, I, I would call it empowerment. Like my, my goal with every one of my patients, with every reader of my book, with, with, with every listener to my podcast, I want to help them become the architects of their own health and happiness. Mm. I want them to feel oh, right, if, if I do this, I'm going to get this outcome. I never tell my patients what to do, right? This, this may surprise people, but I've never told a patient of mine that they must give up smoking. Right? If a patient comes in and they ask for my opinion, right, so I have that permission, then I will share with them what I think smoking is doing for them and the risks. If that patient then says to me, Dr. Chatterjee, I, I understand what you've said, I understand the risks, but I get so much enjoyment out of this that I want to keep going in spite of the risks. I honestly respect that. And I find the reason I get good compliance with my patients is because I, 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 I'm their partner. I'm not talking down to them. I think the medical profession for far too long has had this paternalistic reputation mm. where we talk, we tell the patient what's wrong, we tell them what to do. Nobody in the long term does... Nobody in the long term makes change to their lifestyle because somebody told them to. They might do for a week or two or three weeks or four weeks, but at some point you have to become empowered and go, no, I want to make this change for me. So is it self-help? Well, I guess a little bit. Um, but again, it, for me, it's about, like, let's say... Um, Let's say caffeine, right? Let's talk about something that a lot yes, of us like. Yes, let's do, because Italians love coffee. You know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I love coffee. And right? Swedish people love coffee. Yeah, Everyone and I, I have coffee every morning. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the reality. For some people, having caffeine too late in the day 
is impacting their sleep, right? And then what happens? They don't sleep well. The next day, they crave even more caffeine. Uh, they also eat a lot more. We know that when you haven't slept well, like let's say you sleep five and a half hours a night, you eat 22% more calories the next day. You're more emotionally reactive. You're eating more sugar and you need more caffeine later on. So a lot of people I see get in this vicious cycle. Now, a lot of people don't understand that caffeine sticks around in the body for a long period of time. So your genetics impact this a little bit. But if you have a large coffee at 12 o'clock at lunchtime, uh, at 6 p.m., half of that caffeine is going around your body and brain. At midnight, a quarter is, right? So my approach is to share that with people and say, listen, you may think that that 4 p.m. coffee to get you through the final hour of work is not bothering you. I'm suggesting why not try seven days where you only have your tea or your coffee in the morning and observe what happens. Now, if after a few days you feel you're sleeping better, you have more energy, you're more focused, you're making better decisions at work, then you're empowered. Then you can make a choice. Am I going to keep having coffee at 4 p.m.? Or do I feel like a, a better functioning, a healthier, happier individual when I only have it in the morning? Now, if that person decides they want to keep going with their evening coffee even though it's having effects on them, okay, fine, that's up to them. All of us have the right to make whatever decision we want. So my approach is always to help people understand, because here's the point, a lot of people don't understand. They don't know how much it's affecting them. So me, I love coffee, I'll have two or three cups a day, but I will not drink it past midday. Mm. Even if I had a bad night's sleep and I'm feeling tired in the afternoon, I have learned from experience that if I... If I have that 3 p.m. cup of coffee, I don't sleep well that night, the next day, and, and, and it takes me a few days to recover. So that's the approach I take, and I think that's why people really resonate with the approach, and they find it, I hope a lot of people say they find that sort of approach inspiring, because the truth is no one likes to be told what to do. Mm, that's true. So why is it so easy to have bad habits instead of good habits, and to sort of uh, put in good habits and make that more regular than, than other bad stuff. I think it's the way we live now, the environments around us. That the, the, the problem is, if you look at the the areas around the world um, where people live to, to, to a really good old age in really good rates of health, routinely people live past 100. With, with Not in nursing homes, not with mobility sticks. They're walking around and interacting. What you see is that the environment around them promotes good health. Right? It's a little bit inconvenient. Um, they have to walk to get their food. Um, there, there's a strong sense of community. No one's left isolated. Um, you know, there's low levels of background stress. They all eat fresh food that's in season that they have grown. Most Western uh, countries and cities are living in a way that's very different to that. You know, um, our jobs mean that we sit down on our bums for most of the day. Um, we're chronically sleep deprived. We have high levels of background stress. We have so many things we need to do and keep up with and social media and emails and this. And that, that it's just the world around us means that it's easier to have unhelpful habits. It's just much easier. You know, so I think the problem these days, why so many people are sick, because we're in this, we're in this very peculiar situation in 2022 where 
We're a more technologically advanced society than ever before. We've all got these incredible smartphones, these supercomputers in our pockets. Apparently, we're the most advanced we've ever been as humans, yet we're getting sicker. Obesity is on the rise, type 2 diabetes is on the rise, anxiety, depression, these things are all on the rise. One in six women in Sweden are taking an antidepressant. One in eight of the adult population in Sweden are taking an antidepressant. Okay? It is, it, we're having a situation where the, the, the norm for people is to be sick because the environment around us drives it. And I don't know if there's a big difference between UK and Sweden. I, I come to Sweden two or three times a year to talk about my books and talk to companies. And, um, you know, I certainly feel that when I'm in Stockholm or, or in Sweden, that there's much more of an outdoor culture here. People seem more relaxed to me. But again, you know, how much can I really get about the culture from being here two, three times a year? I don't really know. I feel in the UK, it's actually way more stressy and people really find it hard. Like I find in Swedish restaurants, I can eat good, fresh, whole food here. You know, but maybe, to hear that. <laughs> but maybe that's my perception of it. So I think that's the reason. I think we're now having to fight our environment to be healthy in a way that we never had to. Mm. But... Um When I listen to you, uh, uh, this imagine comes up in my head that you, um, or that we all should be more drivers of our own life instead of being passengers. And one of those uh, key factors are, of course, is of course uh, the health. So, what key would you start with if you feel uh, stressed and you feel a lot of things, and you just want to start with one little thing? What what would that be to sort of cure yourself or help yourself or prevent or whatever? Yeah. So so the key message here is that good health is not actually that difficult. We make it difficult. We make it harder than it needs to be. We underestimate how impactful. It can be to do a small five-minute thing every day, day after day. We we underestimate it, right? All the behavior change research shows us very clearly that if you want a new behavior to become a long-term habit, you have to make it easy, right? You have to make it easy because we overly rely on motivation. We think, all right, I'm going to get healthy now. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to now get going. The problem is motivation never lasts. It's called the motivation wave in the research. We know the motivation will come down, right? And so if you plan for your motivation to be low, you make it easy because then even when you have low motivation, you'll still do it. I'll give an example, right? I am, like many people who are listening to, to this show, a busy guy, okay? I'm very happily married. I have two young kids And I have a busy job. I see patients. I put out a weekly podcast. I go on TV to spread public health messages. I write a book each year. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of different things. So I don't have time to go to the gym, right? But I have a workout every day. I have a five-minute workout, a strength workout every single day. And I, I don't think I've missed a day in three years. Not because I have more motivation than anyone else. Is that the only thing you do? No, I do other things. Yes. But this one, I think, is a really great tip for people because what I do is in the morning, I like to make coffee. So my coffee brews for five minutes before I drink it. In those five minutes, I don't go on email. I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on Facebook. I do a five-minute workout in my pajamas, right? The pajamas is key. I've made it easy. I don't have to 
find any equipment. I don't need to go to a gym. I don't need to get changed. So every morning I have a coffee. Uh, while the coffee's being made, I have a five-minute workout. It's like toothbrushing. Toothbrushing was not a habit for people when they were three years old, when they were four years old. Their mom or their dad had to remind them, brush your teeth, brush your teeth. Now, I hope for most people, they're actually doing it twice a day because it's small, it's easy, and it's done at the same time every day. So it becomes a habit. We can do that for the same thing. So yeah, one thing I do is that five-minute workout, which helps my physical health, my mental health. So I would recommend people to think about something that they really want to do and bring into their life. Let's say it's working out, or let's say it's meditation, or let's say it's a breathing practice to help them with stress, like this, this breath I use with my patients, I call the three, four, five breath. When you breathe in for three, you hold for four, and you breathe out for five. It only takes 12 seconds. To do it five times takes one minute. I start to breathe now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you really feel the difference. Or journaling, right? Mm -hmm. The simple act of writing down how you feel for just a few minutes, we know processes anxiety and worries out of your mind onto paper. Now, I've mentioned four or five things there. I would say don't try and do them all. They've all got benefits, but here's a big problem. People go, oh, I want to do that. I'm going to journal. I'm going to do breathing. I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to do a workout. Here's the problem. You'll do that for a few days. And then in a week, you'll have a busy day. You go, I can't fit it in. You do nothing, right? So I would say pick one thing, right? And then make it as easy as you can. Maybe five minutes, maybe even one minute if five minutes is too much. And think about where can I put this in my day? What do I do consistently each day? that I can stick this onto, like my coffee habits. Mm. I put my strength workout on there. And I promise, if you do this for the next seven days, whatever it is, you will start to feel better physically and mentally. And it does something magical as well. It does something for your self-esteem. If you do something small each day, let's say your work's busy. Let's say you're a leader, you're a manager, you're, you're the founder of a company right? You have to be on your game to make good decisions. Health is not optional. This small thing that you do each day, it just boosts your self-esteem from the inside. It shows you no matter how many emails I've got, no matter how much stress I've got at work, how many uh, things I've got to do with my partner and my children, I've still made five minutes for myself to nourish my physical and mental health. And I can tell you, little by little, that's what makes a difference in the long term. Anybody can do a three-week diet plan or a three-week workout plan. Anyone, right? The problem is most people, it doesn't go beyond three weeks. So I would say forget that. Find something small and do it consistently. And I promise you will start to feel the difference. Honestly, I've been on tour with you now three days and you inspired me a lot, of course. And I'm back to doing those little workout minutes before the coffee. I love it. <laughs> and it, it really, it's really good. But you have to stick to it as you well. You have to stick to it. Because after one week, you say, ah, today, I, I, I can skip it today. That's yeah, so we're, we're, on, we're on the road at the moment, right? So we're in Malmo at the moment. Uh, it's, it's more difficult when you're on the road, although I do do it in the hotel room. Um, so I say in your home environment, what is it you do regularly each morning? Is it toothbrushing? Is it coffee? Is it taking the bins out? This is the second key to behavior change. Number one, make it easy. Number two, stick on your new behavior to an existing habit. That's what I've done in my life. That's what everyone has to find what works for them. Another thing I do, which I did this morning, right? I'm on the ninth floor of this hotel. Right? So I have a rule in my life. I changed this a few years ago and I do it with my kids as well. 
Never outsource your movement to an electronic device when you can, right? Because, you know, we're wired to try and do convenient things. So I'm on the ninth floor, right? So this morning, to come down for breakfast, I took the stairs. After breakfast, I went up the nine floors by the stairs. Now, I haven't had to join a gym. I haven't had to get changed. I just thought, look, it will take me 15 seconds in the lift. Probably take me two minutes on the stairs, And I've now trained myself, unless there's a very, very good reason, I don't outsource my movement to electronic devices where possible. So at an airport, I will never take the escalator. I'll take the stairs. Now, this sounds very, people may go, oh, you know, is there any need for that? Well, look, we we look at these areas around the world where they are in great health. Life is a little bit inconvenient, Right? Things aren't, they can't order on their smartphone food to be delivered to them. They have to go out. So it's just a little rule that I found works for me. Wherever possible, use your body to get you somewhere. And to people who are disabled, they can use their, their arms more, I think, or older yeah. people. Yeah, and I think you bring a really good point there. I should be very aware uh, that if you're physically able to do that, great. But if you're not, fine, you may have to come up with other solutions for it. But it's a very simple thing. And I, you know, I'm a parent, right? So I know my kids are growing up in a world where it's getting more and more convenient to not use their bodies. So I'm, this has been a big inspiration for me to make changes because I want to, I want to sort of model this kind of behavior for my kids. So at the airport, well, I remember we were, we went to Greece a few weeks ago on holiday. And at the airports, you know, everyone's taking the escalator and I can't remember, but the kids were like, come on, daddy, here are the stairs, here are the stairs. They're, they're driving me to the stairs because they know. And look, who knows? I think every parent is trying to do the best that they can. I hope, you know, when they're adults in the future, this stands them in good stead. Mm. Um, Elon Musk, let's talk about him for a while, or at least his methods. He made a statement um, as an employer not long ago, and he said that he will not permit people to work from home. Wonders are not made from home. That was his quote. Um, and he also said that those who don't turn up will be sacked um, because he thinks that successful products are not made at home. Now, is this kind of statement or, or perception of working at home, is this a healthy and a productive strategy or what are your opinion on that? Look, I think most things, there's nuance and context too, right? So I can hear that statement I don't know what he said before that or what he said after that. And I think it's very easy these days to take lines out of context. They spread and become internet memes. And suddenly we're like, oh, I can't believe this person said that. So let's say employers. That- employers. Look, Elon Musk is a smart guy, right? So what do I hear when I hear that? I hear a couple of things, right? Obviously, over the last couple of years, all around the world, there's been a lot of homeworking. And for some people initially at least, it was looking very exciting. Oh man, I don't need to commute. I can see my family more. Um, In all that time I used to spend on a train or in a car, I can go for a walk or whatever. Great. In the UK, a lot of people are getting bored of home working. They're realizing that work was not just about work. It was also about community. It was about connection. And uh, I sent out um, an email called Friday Five every Friday. And two weeks ago in it, Uh, I think I quoted some research that had just come out that has shown that we are not as creative on Zoom calls as we are in person. 
We're not. You know, we, I think we all know that. Like, I think one of the problems on Zoom calls us... But we tried to convince ourselves. We tried to convince ourselves. That was more convenient, but it's just not the same thing. And so we're now getting research showing that, no, people are more creative. So that quote you said from Elon Musk in terms of products not being invented at home. Yeah, I can understand that, right? I can understand that if you're in a room with your colleagues who you're all um, orientated around a common goal, you're going to get more out of that. For sure. But then let's go further for all employers. Let's say your employees have a five-day working week. Well, do they need to be in for all five days? You know, I don't think we need to go from it's either home working or it's office working. A lot of things in life these days have become very black and white. It's either left or it's right. Well, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. And a lot of companies... Like Penguin in the UK published my books in the UK. It's Norstedt's here in Sweden, right? And they've realized that people used to come in on different days and then, but different, different parts of the team were never seeing each other. So now they have these common days where the whole team comes in. It's not even always for meetings. Sometimes it's just lunch and drinking a coffee together and it's this community. You know, that's who we are as humans. We are tribe animals. We're wired for connection. When we feel lonely, it is very toxic for our health. We know from the research that the feeling of being lonely is as harmful as smoking 15, one, five cigarettes per day. It is toxic for us. It's not who we are. And I actually think workplaces and employers play a big role here because we spend a lot of our time at work, maybe eight, nine hours a day at work. Right, So what is the environment there? So I think there's a moral imperative as well as a business imperative now for companies to really take that on board and go, yeah, we want to make good products. We want to grow the business. We want to make an impact in the world. But impact isn't just with the product you're making. Impact is also what is the environment we're fostering? How are we making people feel at work? Because how you interact at work, how you feel about your work inter- it absolutely impacts how you interact with your partner when you get home, how you interact with your kids, how much energy you've got. I don't think it's any more work and then home life. These things are becoming much more blended. And so I think a lot of companies, I think, will move to a hybrid and it will be unique for that company and that employer. You know, they may have someone who has real childcare commitments or they have elderly parents to look after, but there are I don't know, they're a very valuable member of the team. So maybe it's about a negotiation. It's like, okay, all right, well, maybe for the next few months, you try three days at home, but we really need you in the office two days a week. And if you can be a bit flexible, I think you're going to get more employee engagement, more productivity. And I think people are going to want to stay with you. You know, you know who, as a, as a company, it's so problematic when you lose staff and you have to retrain people from scratch. So... I don't know. I think it's an interesting statement from Elon Musk. I, I, I'd love to hear that full speech, but I think we need to be a bit flexible. There's pros and cons of both. Mm. Um, how much do you actually live as you preach? Because it's easy to talk about that. Um, pardon my, my English here, but uh, it's it would be I- an ideal to live like you explain. But are you always doing that every day yourself? No. Thank you. Um, Good to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm an imperfect human who is tempted by the temptations of the modern world, just like everyone else. Um, I do try and live 
uh, by the principles that I talk about. I think I do a pretty good job, if I'm honest. I didn't used to. Uh, bit by bit, year after year, I've realized, this is what I mean about self-empowerment, right? I've realized, you know, I'm 44 now, right? I'm 44, I'm married, and my kids are 12 and 9. I know that when I prioritize my sleep, right? When I really focus on switching off for an hour before bed and getting a good amount of sleep, I am better in every aspect of my life. Yes, I'm a better doctor and I've got more energy, but I'm also a better and more patient father. I'm a more caring and considerate husband, right? So you you do this enough times and it's about intention. It's about being aware of what do you like when you do these things? What do you like when you don't do these things? And when you fall off the wagon and have a few nights where you're drinking coffee too late or you're in your bed looking at your phone, even though you know you probably shouldn't be, because I do that from time to time, right, with, with my phone, even though... I've written four or five books on this stuff, right? It's not just information we need. When we do something or we have too many alcoholic drinks, we, we don't feel good the day after. That's not failure. That's education. That's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Uh, when I do this, I feel better. So I'm at the stage now where I've fallen off so many times, but I'm aware. I now know I like myself more when I pay attention to my health and well-being. So, so I do, but I, I, you know, sometimes I take on too much work. Sometimes I'm working too late in the evening. Sometimes I've got, I would say, you know, I talk about these four pillars of health, food, movement, sleep, and relaxation. And I say people just need to make a small change in each one of those. For me, I'd say my food, movement, and sleep is pretty good most of the time. Um, when I get stressed, I definitely crave sugar. No question. We know a lot of people do. So I will sometimes have too much sugar when I'm feeling stressed. And here's the thing. I know it's probably not good for me, but I'm still a human. And I, and I know what the stress response does to us. But I would say out of those four pillars, st- the stress pillar is the one I need the most work on. And if, I'm, if I don't pay attention, that's the one that goes off. So I'm, I'm not perfect for sure, but I would say... I think my lifestyle is, is, is pretty good most of the time. Mm. Good to hear. <laughs> um, as a doctor, I think, I mean, whatever you work with, everyone wants to develop and, and, and thrive. Um, I'm a little bit curious about the thing when you went uh, into families and, and diagnosed them and, and so on. Do you discover new way of getting ill? Um, do you... Um, mm develop your knowledge by actually living with people yeah. and seeing other stuff. Yeah. What is happening with us? Um, 100%. I, I, I've only really been reflecting on that over the last two or three years, even though I started filming seven, eight years ago. Doing that series, Doctor in the House, um, has changed the way I view health. I feel very lucky because very few doctors get the opportunity to go and do something like this. But what's incredible is this. When you spend four to six weeks with a family, you start to see all the different drivers of ill health. Think about it. In a 10-minute or 15-minute consultation, how much, even if you ask about a patient's lifestyle, what are they going to say in 15 minutes? And let's say you ask, you know, what are they eating? Well, most humans will give you their best day, right? What are you eating? Oh, you know, I like to eat uh, salmon and salad. And, you know, very few people will give you their worst day, 
right? That's human nature. So if you spend six weeks, you see really what they're eating. What are they snacking on? You see what they do in the evening. You see how they eat. Are they attentive or are they sort of scrolling their phones and social media at the same time as eating? You then see the relationship dynamics, right, between, uh, let's say, a husband and wife or a partner with another partner and the children, the stress, the tension, how that impacts what people say, their self-talk, how they talk to other people. And you, you know, I really developed this, this picture that, wow, health is about so much more than what we see in 10 minutes. Health is about everything. And I think this holistic approach that I have, where I look at all different aspects of health and well-being, I've realized, yes, through my clinical practice as a doctor, but also from spending a long time with families, I thought, wow, there's all kinds of things that contribute. But that's also empowering for me because I've also seen how simple it is to make small changes in each of these areas. And and that's a key thing I, I really want to hammer home. This is not about a complete lifestyle overhaul, right? Even five minutes a day doing something differently, doing something proactive for your physical and mental well-being will make a difference. Again, I'm going to mention toothbrushing, right? Toothbrushing, you don't neglect it in the week and think on Sunday I'm going to do a big one-hour deep clean of my teeth, (laughs) right? We don't do that. We know that two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening, consistently for life will look after our teeth. When it comes to physical and mental health, we, 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 we throw that out. We think it's got to be difficult. I'm like, no. What I'm talking about is toothbrushing for everything else. And I think that's a really nice principle for people to think about. Then finally, we have age. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? Because uh, our bodies are not used to be this old. And things happen with lack of hormones for men and women, etc. Um If we keep on doing what you're saying, the the, the little things, would we get? Uh, will we live longer with quality? Do we need more things to add? No, I, th- I think we've got to keep it simple. Um, there are populations still around the world where they're living past a hundred in very good health, and they are not crushing it at the gym. They don't have personal trainers, right? They're not like reading every single new health book. No, they're living very, very simple. They're, they're doing little things consistently, right? We know there's a lot of research now on anti-aging and longevity, and it's all pointing to the same thing. You can, you can't stop the aging process, but you can slow it down. It is absolutely possible for most of us to be in our 80s or 90s in pretty good health. It is not inevitable that we're going to get dementia, that we're going to end up in a nursing home. It, it really isn't. But it this doesn't just happen with what you do in your 70s and 80s. This starts in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s. We know that chronic stress, for example, right, chronic stress, which many people are living under, right, the World Health Organization say that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century. But that's remarkable, right? A little bit of stress helps us. But chronic stress, day in, day out, is problematic, right? What does chronic stress do? I'll give you an example. If you're a business leader, right? You want to you talk to your team. You want to present. You want to sell a product. You want a little bit of stress. It helps you perform better in that moment. But that short bit of stress is meant to be there for like 30 minutes, an hour, and then gone. 
Many of us are living in a chronic state of stress. So instead of it now helping us, too much of the stress hormone cortisol starts to kill nerve cells in your hippocampus. What's your hippocampus? It's a part of your brain that's associated with learning and memory, right? So if you are, and this is why I say to a lot of people, especially high achieving people, you cannot keep pushing it week after week, month after month in the quest for endless growth. You you have to pay attention to your health. We know that chronic stress is causative of dementia in the future. Chronic sleep deprivation is causative of dementia and other things in the future. So the point I'm trying to make is these simple things really make a big difference. Walking, right? Walking has been shown to, um, um, it's been shown to reverse what we call the functional aging in your brain, right? Sedentary 20-year-olds were compared before a creative task to 70-year-olds. And if the 70-year-olds did 10 to 20 minutes of walking before their creative task, they scored better in it than 20-year-olds, just from 10 to 20 minutes of walking, mm. right? And, and that is, of course, amazing. I also would like to add something about stress again. What about the stress that a single mother has? Is that the same kind of stress that a, a high-performance CEO w- would feel? The, the body has a finite way of dealing with stress. There are certain biological responses associated with it. They are the same whether that stress is coming from too much work, the stress of being a single mum, or running away from a tiger, right? The body still responds in the same way. So whilst the stressors can be different, the impact is the same, but also the treatment is the same. That's the, that's the beautiful thing of it. So I understand for a single parent, you mentioned a single mother, yeah, it can be really tricky, really, really difficult to juggle everything, do everything that needs to be done, you know, look after yourself, look after your kids, earn enough money to put food on the table. I get it, right? And that's why my message is even more relevant for them as it is for a business leader. Even for those people, five minutes moving your body each day, five minutes doing some of those breathing techniques, five minutes of journaling, it massively makes a difference. For seven years, I worked in a very poor, deprived area in the UK, the centre of Oldham in the north of England. A lot of patients were on benefits there. There were a lot of people from different countries there. They had tough lives, right? I couldn't change the poverty there. I couldn't change what was going on around them But by teaching them these simple things, I was able to lower their stress levels, build up their resilience so they were better able to face the problems in their lives. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's okay if you've got time for all this. It's not okay if you're, if you're really struggling and you're poor. No, I disagree. I completely disagree. We've all got the same biology. Those things are going to help you even if your life is a struggle. Right? I'm not saying they're magically going to get rid of your struggle, but you're going to make better decisions in the face of that struggle. Thank you, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Thank you for having me.